Father, we pray that you will open our minds and our hearts to your life and to your light, to your grace and mercy. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. It's becoming apparent to most of us, I think, if we have any connection with the news, that despite our best efforts, bullying is not decreasing. It seems to be increasing. It's a different kind of culture than when I was a child. When I was young, bullying met hands, fists, feet, words spoken into your face. Now, much of the bullying takes place is cyberbullying. And I think people are less concerned about it and they say more than they might say otherwise because they're hiding behind a phone or a computer. But the effect is the same. And we live in this culture of, of unkindness. In fact, I saw something the other day, an article that, that said that actually in a lot of, of uh, junior high and senior high settings... Uh, bullying is seen as sort of a badge of honor. It's how you get into the, to the popular group. And I, my heart sunk. And yet as much as, we, as much as we bemoan that, the reality is we are continually rewarding that kind of behavior. Who, who rises to the ranks of, of, the, of the highest people in business? It's the people who walk over others, who crush them, who are willing to do what needs to be done to get to the top. Who, gets, who, who rises to the top in politics? It's the, it's the people who, who are willing to you know, run over anybody to get what they want. I mean, we see this all the time in all the various facets of life, and we continually are rewarding it. And it's killing us. Because the way we treat each other, the, the things we say to each other in person and, and in cyber means, and, and the way that, that we are, are, are struggling to, to connect with each other is creating disconnect. I mean, I find it fascinating that more and more we are disconnected from each other, and yet people share more intimate details of their lives with each other than ever before. We just do it through Facebook and things like that. And I think in the underlying that is this yearning, this, this desire, this passion for connection. We're looking for something. And I find it so fascinating that people, people will go onto sites and do all kinds of things for the sole purpose of meeting people face to face. And we live with this, this struggle of wanting anonymity and wanting connectedness. And we're looking, for, we're looking for a touch. We're looking for a word. We're looking for eye contact, something that will say to us, you're valuable, you have significance, you're important. I think all this was going through my mind when someone sent me a video clip this week and, and I just thought it was so powerful. It's about uh, an artist, Marina Abramovich, and her 
artist, artistic display is called The Artist is Present. And I want us to watch it this morning. It's just two minutes as we see or as we hear her tell the story and watch this unfold. For Artists is Present, I decide to be there in the entire duration of the time of the opening of the museum, which means three months sitting there. I knew this is a big chance to show the power of performance art. I prepared for this piece almost a year because I knew it's going to be physically so demanding, so difficult. The curator was just telling me, you have to be ready that in the front of you will be empty chair most of the time. Because nobody could imagine in New York, the most busy place in the world, that would anybody take time to sit and just engage in mutual gaze with me. So it was complete surprise for myself, to the entire staff of MoMA, and to everybody else. This enormous need of the humans to actually have a contact, how we are so alienated from each other, how the society makes us really distant. You know, we are texting each other messages without seeing each other, and we just live around the corner from each other. So many stories of loneliness. And uh, the people not that just occupy the chair. There was no one second when this chair was empty. They start sleeping outside of the museum, and they start waiting for hours and hours and coming back. And what is happening there? I'm looking at you. You're photographed. You're filmed. You're observed by everybody else in this atrium. So there is nowhere to go but into yourself. At the moment when you really get into yourself, that moment bursts with emotions, with so much feelings. And this is why so many people start crying. They become such important experience in their life. We are not doing this in our own home because we are doing everything to actually cut that relation to ourselves. But here, I made a stage for the audience that they can be able to do that. So something really happened there, which was different than anything I'd done ever before. And during that time sitting, this idea of the Marina Abramovich Institute. It's fascinating to me. As she created this artistic display, just this space, empty space, two chairs, and invited people to come and sit down and just gaze into each other's eyes for a little bit. And as she says, they didn't really expect anyone to come. But they came. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. People lined up outside the museum for that opportunity to sit in that chair and engage eye contact. There is a yearning in our souls as human beings for something more in this culture of disconnectedness, in this culture of unkindness. Now we as a culture have, you know, society has has worked at trying to create ways to, to think more about kindness. There was a few years ago a uh, sort of an ad campaign of do random acts of kindness. And, and people would, you know, go into, walk into a coffee shop and somebody might pay for the coffee for everybody in the place and then walk out. Or they might pay for the toll of somebody or a few cars behind them in, in the line at the toll booth. Or they might go 
some night and rake the leaves of some random person around their town and, and, and no one would know what was happening. And, and it, was, it was an amazing uh, display of kindness. But as one author says, it does say something about our society that simply doing a few random acts of kindness gets us all excited. You know, that we, we are so in... We're so burdened and we're so, we're so yearning so much for some kind of kindness that we'll grab hold of anything. I read about a church that was participating in this and they, call, they were calling different grocery stores around the town where they lived. And, and, and the pastor called one grocery store and the guy answered the phone and talked with him a little bit and told him what they wanted to do. And the guy said, well, I have to talk to the manager about it, but let me see if I got this straight. You and some people in your church want to come to, to our grocery store and you want to clean up the parking lot and you want to gather up all the carts and you want to hold umbrellas for customers who are, might be walking in the rain and you don't want anything in return. He said, yeah, that's right. So the guy went and talked to the manager and came back a few minutes later and he said, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to let you do that. If we let you do it, then we have to let everybody do it. <laughs> really? You know, it, it, it reminds, there's, people always think there's an agenda. You know, there's, there's something going on. You surely can't just, you don't just kind just to be kind. It's like the saying goes, be kind to everybody because you never know who's going to show up on your jury if you go to trial. There's that kind of kindness, right? There is a different kind of Kindness. That Paul is talking about. And the Galatian Christians are arguing with each other. They are dividing into factions. They are, they, they, they are in dissenting groups. They are communicating with each other harshly. And Paul says, look, if you talk so much, you talk so much about being filled with the Spirit... You're always talking about walking in the Spirit. You're talking about how spiritual you are. Well, let me tell you, if the Spirit is in you, here's what should come out of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we wrestle with that because we're all about kindness, but often it's with an agenda. We are kind to people so that they will come to Christ. And that's good. We want people to come to Christ. It's the mission of the church to bring the world to Christ. But there is a difference between being kind so that and just being kind. And I think Paul is talking about just being kind. Talking about living a life of kindness. Not just talking about kindness, because of all the fruit, this is one of those that you can't just talk about and say we're good. If you aren't doing kindness, then you aren't really kind. But it's being kind. And as you read through the scriptures, there are all kinds of ways in which kindness is connected to life and what it means and how it's defined. You see kindness connected to humility and compassion and dignity 
restraint, respect. You see, kindness connected to forgiveness, sacrifice. Now, it's, it's what we see to a certain degree in the story of David and Mephibosheth. David's become king, he's established his kingdom, everything is settled. And he says, are there any other family members left of Saul, the former king? Now, that's not an odd question for a newly established king to ask. Because you ask that question, you find all the family members of the other king, and you eliminate them. Because that's how you fully establish your kingdom. No, nothing, no one else to undermine what you're doing. And so David says, let's find those people. And that's why he says to Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to show kindness to you. And remember, this is the grandson of the man who chased David all over the countryside trying to kill him. This was the man who forced David into exile. And David says to him, you're going to come and live at my palace. You're going to eat my food. I'm going to take care of you. That's that kind of sacrifice. But the motivation that you see in this is that David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father and Saul's son, they are best of friends. And it's because of his promise to Jonathan that he is kind to Jonathan's son. And, and that kind of kindness is good, but I think Jesus takes it even deeper. And when you read the Gospels, you see in the life of Jesus some phenomenal things about kindness. When I think of Jesus and kindness, I think about little children. It's one of the reasons I love that window. I like just gazing at that window and because I don't often picture Jesus holding a little baby or a toddler. And I sort of have this image, as someone said to me this week, I agree, that of Jesus, of these children, all kind of, you know, they're dirty, they've been playing, they're a little grimy, stuff on their faces. And they come running up to Jesus and jump into his lap. And the disciples are saying, get those kids away from him. And Jesus becomes angry and says, no, you let these children come to me. This is what the kingdom is about. And I can see them jumping all over him. And he's laughing. It's awesome. Think about Zacchaeus that everybody else wants to avoid because he's a tax collector. And Jesus sees him up in a tree and he says, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch. And they go to his house and Zacchaeus becomes a changed man. And I think about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. First of all, she is a Samaritan and Jews don't get along with Samaritans. You don't talk to Samaritans. She's a woman and Jewish men don't talk to women in public. And she has been married five times and the guy she's living with isn't her husband. She has had a messed up life. The last person in the world, three strikes. And yet here is Jesus sitting beside her, listening to her, showing respect and dignity to her. 
And I think about the prostitute who comes and anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And all the religious leaders are up in arms about it because she's a woman of ill repute. And Jesus is so kind to her. And he respects her. And he, he, he maintains her dignity when the others want to take it away. And I think about the feeding of the 5,000. They've been listening to Jesus teach all day and they are hungry. And the disciples must be hearing some grumbling and they say to Jesus, we've got to get rid of these people. And Jesus says, no, 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 let's feed them. What? Can't turn them away. And I think about that upper room on the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's meeting with his disciples and he takes a towel and a basin of water and he washes their feet because they would not humble themselves to wash anybody else's feet. And I think about Malchus. They're in the garden. The soldiers come to arrest Jesus and Peter swings his sword and it cuts off Malchus' ear, the servant of the high priest. The avowed enemy of Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. That's not what we're about. And he heals the man's ear. I'm convinced Malchus is a different person from that day. And hanging on the cross, his life is ebbing out of Jesus. He looks down and he sees his mother. And despite the agony of body and soul... Jesus says to John, take care of her. Jesus is not just about random acts of kindness. It's who he is. It's every part of his being. It just oozes out of him because he is filled with the Spirit. And random acts of kindness are good. It's better than random acts of violence. It's better than doing nothing. But there's really no risk involved in it. I mean, it's great. You walk up to the counter and the barista says, hey, the guy paid for your coffee. Cool. But you go pull up to the toll booth and they said, you know what? The guy in front of you, he paid your toll. That's great. I don't know that person. I will never see that person again. The, kind of, the kindness that Paul's talking about, the kindness that we see in Christ is connected to people. It's about relationships. It's about risk. Random acts of kindness, you do them, you never know how people respond to them. But in relationships, you can get hurt. You can be rejected. And Jesus is rejected. And yet he continues to be kind. And that's the problem with all of the fruit of the Spirit. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's real life stuff. And it's a challenge for us. I've talked a number of times about Richard Mouse's book, Uncommon Decency. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. The very last two pages of the book, he tells two stories about himself. And one of them, he's, he's pulling into a mini mall parking lot. Place is crowded. He's looking for a spot. He sees one and whips into it. And as he's turning into it, he hears this horn honking go off. And it keeps going. And he looks over and there's a woman sitting in her car. And it's all of a sudden obvious to him that she's been sitting there waiting for that spot. And he took it. And she is very, very, very unhappy. 
She continues honking her horn and she does a few other things to let him know how unhappy she is with him. And then she takes off and goes to find another place. He gets out of his car and he goes looking for her. And he finds her and she's getting out of her car and he says to her, I am so sorry, I did not see you there. I should have been paying more attention and I didn't, forgive me. And she bursts into tears. And through the tears she says, you just don't know the kind of day I've had. And she starts to talk about it and then she says, forget it. And she starts walking away. And then she stops and turns around and says to him, thank you. The second event takes place about two weeks later. He is bringing his vehicle back to the car rental agency. He's standing at the counter talking to the agent. And they are having a heated disagreement. The agent says that he owes them for an extra hour. And Richard Mal says he doesn't. And he said, we were really getting into it. And he said, I was angry and I was frustrated and I was letting him have it. And in the midst of this discussion, the, uh, the manager of the agency comes over and she says, can I help you? And he, in a very irritating voice, explains to her not just the problem, but why this guy is wrong. And she looks at the contract and she says to the agent, her employee, he's right. And then she says to Richard Mao, honey, you look like you could use a hug. And she walks over and she gives him a bear hug. And he's like, I just feel all the tension just sort of flow out of me. And I turn to, that, to the, the gentleman at the counter and I apologize as profusely as I possibly could. Instead, it taught me a couple of things. One is that kindness is hard. We get so wrapped up in life and so wrapped up in our stuff that we are unkind sometimes without even realizing it. And the other is the power of a hug. The power of human interaction. The power of a, kind, a gesture of kindness that's real. Personal. It's hard to be kind. And that's why it's imperative for us to understand that our kindness, the kindness to which we are called as children of God is rooted in God who is rich in kindness toward us. There are a number of passages in the scriptures that are translated with different words that could be translated kindness. Psalm 23, 5. Surely kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is kind. Psalm 136, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is kind. Uh, You know, you can translate that in a variety of words, but there is something in my mind that communicates a little differently saying God is good and God is kind. And Paul says in Romans, 
God who is rich in kindness has bestowed his grace and kindness upon us. Jesus says in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is kind and my burden is light. And in Ephesians and Titus, Paul talks about the kindness that is ours through the sacrifice of Christ. This word kindness, the word krestos, it it is connected in ancient Greek to, it often is used to describe a person who is an ideal servant. Someone who, who as a servant, it does exactly what they should do. They're the best. They serve in the right way. They serve with the right kind of grace and the right kind of spirit. And, and that sort of triggered for me, as we were thinking about what kind of fruit to use, triggered for me grapes because I had in this mind this, the king lying on a couch being fed grapes by a servant. And then I realized it's not Jesus lying on the couch. Jesus is the one feeding the grapes. In that position of humility and servanthood to which we're called. And that's what brings us to this table because this table is a stark image of God's kindness for us and the call and his call on our lives to be kind. And, and at this table, we see so clearly that in God's kingdom, kindness is always costly. If it doesn't cost us something to be kind, then we have to ask, is it really the kindness of God's spirit? Because the kindness of Christ takes him all the way to the cross. And he says to us, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. And follow me in kindness. In sacrificial, self-giving kindness. The kindness that is thinking about others before ourselves. Thinking about how we can give rather than how we can take. The kindness of Christ. Why are we kind? What gives us the motivation to be kind? What gives us the the ability to be kind? Well, part of it's a want to. But it's really rooted in God's kindness for us. His spirit in us, changing us transforming us, working in us, shaping us into the image of Jesus who is kind. Gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy to us and for your kindness. We are undeserving, totally and completely undeserving. We come today in gratitude and we ask that you will help us to embrace your call to kindness. We pray that your spirit will work in us 
that we might have a passion and a yearning to be channels of your kindness. Father, as we come to this table this morning, we pray that you pour out your blessing and your grace upon these elements of which we are about to partake. As we eat and drink, may we know the power of your spirit in our lives, individually and corporately. And may we be filled anew with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.